This classic Encounters podcast is brought to you by Encounters North. To learn more about our podcast videos and projects and to support our work, please visit EncountersNorth.org. G'day, I'm Richard Nelson for Encounters, a program of observations, experiences, and reflections on the world around us. Well, I'm keeping very close company with one of the most widespread, most abundant, and most familiar animals on Earth. Virtually every one of us is somehow connected to this animal every single day of our lives. One of the first animals we learn about as kids. For some reason, we seem to take this animal completely for granted, sort of like the couch in the living room or the car in the driveway. I'd imagine there's very few of us who haven't imitated what we're hearing right now. Well, you couldn't mistake that voice for anything else in the world. Of course, this is the singular, endearing, and utterly essential cow. I'm nearly surrounded by a herd of Black Angus beef cattle. There's about 50 of them here, I'd guess. They look like shining ebony boulders clustered in a lush green meadow. Now these cows could be on the prairies of Texas or Alberta. They could be in the pasture lands of Iowa or Pennsylvania or Arkansas. But actually, we're in the cattle country of Eastern Australia, a place where we might see kangaroos bounding across the meadow. We might see brilliantly colored parrots flinging between the trees. It's February. This is the middle of the Australian summer, and just a little bit past sunrise, it's already starting to warm up. I imagine we'll hit about 80 degrees today. The countryside is like walking in an endless park with broad grasslands mixed with an open forest of tall eucalyptus trees. And then when I look farther, rolling hills and low mountains all around. Exquisite country. It looks a lot like Southern California, if you're familiar with that part of the world. That's an Australian magpie. Three or four of them up in a tree here. Can they ever sing? They start before light every single morning. Now, in the United States or Canada, we'd call this place where I am today a ranch. But here in Australia, it's known as a livestock property. Properties like this always have a name. This one is called Pennyroyal. It's a big place, several thousand acres, sprawling landscape here that belongs to my good friends Guy Fitzharding and Mandy Martin. Now that sound there tells us where we are. That's the kookaburra bird, the iconic voice of Australia. Also, there's some cicadas or locusts, as we would call them in the trees here, that'll be buzzing from time to time. Now, when I hiked into this pasture just a little while ago, the cattle were first grazing a couple hundred yards away. They saw me. They couldn't suppress their curiosity, and they gathered up and followed me down the hill here. 
And now they're all standing like an audience. It's, well, I suppose the daily life of a cow can get fairly routine. And when something different happens, they seem to be curious or fascinated. They're all bunched here very close, quietly staring at me. Well, not so quietly, actually. Occasionally singing out. It's as if they're hypnotically fascinated. If you weren't familiar with these cows, and a big bunch like this started following you through the open pasture, you might get a little intimidated, but after a while you realize, no, oh, they're just wanting to watch you. Now, this group of cows that we're with today are all females with their half to one-third grown calves. These animals look very formidable. The closest ones are about 15 feet away from me in a tight bunch here. Black Angus females weigh 1,000 to 1,800 pounds. They're kind of like a minivan perched on big, stocky, muscular legs with broad, cloven hooves. And one standing sidelong just in front of me here, I can see her long, ropey tail with a bushy swatch at the end. Great thing for shooing flies, which she's using it for right now. And another one facing straight toward me, the closest one here. Big head, rounded funnel ears aimed at me, listening to my voice here. Big, dark, wet nose. And more than anything else, what you notice about cows when you're close to them like this is their big, dark, round, gentle eyes, wet and shining in the sunlight today, and long lashes that add to the loveliness of these animals' eyes. I'm struck not only by how curious these cows are, but also how placid these animals. Even one of them could easily bowl right over me, but if I make any sudden movement, which I'm not going to do, they startle back like they've seen a grizzly bear. Now, my friend Guy Fitzharding says, never trust a bull because it could unexpectedly charge. Black Angus bulls are considerably bigger than the females. They can weigh over 2,500 pounds. That's about the weight of a smallish car. A lot of muscles combined with a bit of unpredictability. I don't think I'd want to be hanging out in a pasture with the bulls, and there are none at all here. They're kept separate from the cows. Well, now, let's clarify some vocabulary. In the world of science, cattle belong to the genus Bos, B-O-S, and their species name is Taurus. In plain English, the proper word for all animals of this species is cattle. It's an odd word because cattle is always plural, so it's a lot easier for us just to call them cows. Technically, the females we have around us here are all cows. That's the word for a female that's had a calf. If she hasn't had a calf yet, she's properly called a heifer. Driving through the dairy country or the ranch lands of the United States or Canada or Australia, nearly all the cattle you see are females, so it's pretty accurate to call them cows. Now, male cattle, if they're fully intact, are properly called bulls. But most male cattle are neutered when they're still calves, and then they're called steers or bullocks. Those animals have a short life expectancy. They're usually sold for beef by about age three. 
but farmers generally keep just a few intact bulls around for breeding. On the other hand, female cattle are often kept for a long time because every year they produce calves that maintain the herd. That's what we've got here. About half of these animals that are staring at me right now are calves, much smaller than their moms. The females in these beef cattle have a small udder and their calves are actually making good use of that right now. What we're hearing is a calf very close here nursing from his mom. He keeps bumping up very hard against her udder. It almost looks like it would hurt her. And we can pick up the loud suckling sound. Oh, when it pulls its head away, that little calf has a white foam of milk around its mouth. It's so eager as it's suckling here. And that rich, warm milk, ah, oh, how delicious it must taste. Well, our group is kind of losing interest in me a little bit. They're not just standing here staring at me. They're meandering down this green, grassy hill. And when one cow moves, can be darn sure the rest of them are going to go too. Well, it seems strange, you know, we're all familiar with cows. They're so much a part of our lives, but we rarely think about them as animals. In the popular media, cows are often kind of the brunt of jokes and cartoons, treated like big, dim-witted oafs. But I think we should take cows seriously, partly because they're beautiful and fascinating animals, and partly because we depend on them for some of the most essential foods and other items in our daily lives. Maybe we overlook cows because we don't connect our food with living animals. Maybe that's a reality we'd prefer to avoid. It's pretty amazing how important cows are for all of us. First, they provide meat for burgers and steaks, for soups and stews, for hot dogs and tacos. If we don't eat meat, we're still connected with cows because they supply a whole array of milk products, cheese, butter, whipped cream, yogurt, and nectar of the gods, ice cream. Well, what if we don't use milk products either? Well, there's something from cows and lots of other foods like cake mixes, candies, gelatin, and white sauces, salad dressing, mayonnaise, marshmallows. That's just a few of the kinds of food that have something from cows in them. Cows, of course, provide leather for shoes, jackets, chairs, luggage, briefcases, purses that hold our money, belts that hold our pants up. And who would ever guess? Cows also provide ingredients for stuff like cosmetics, crayons, glue, paints, deodorants, for soap and toothpaste and insecticides, for insulation, for linoleum that we walk around on, and for floor wax that we polish it with. I even found a list of about 70 pharmaceuticals and other medical products made from cows, starting with surgical sutures and also including those little capsules for drugs and nutritional supplements. Well, beyond familiar everyday uses like these, cows in many parts of the world are still very important for transportation and for farm work. That big oxen or bullock that's used to pull wagons, plow fields, pump water. And I should also mention 
that cattle are sometimes used for entertainment and athletics, notably rodeo sports like bull riding and calf roping. And also there is the tragic spectacle of bullfighting that persists in places like Spain and Mexico. From a practical standpoint, cows are the most essential and omnipresent animal in the world. And I suppose at the moment I should also say something about cows can provide beautiful music. Well, cows belong to a large order of animals called ungulates. These are the hoofed animals. That includes animals like deer, moose, elk, caribou, also includes sheep and goats and lots of others. Then there's a smaller group within the ungulates that's called the bovines. That's the cattle and their close relatives that include water buffalo, the yak, some big African antelopes, and the European and American bison. Now here's something interesting. Originally, all modern cattle descended from another wild bovine called the aurochs. It looked like a very large dark brown cow with elegantly curved horns. For thousands of years, people hunted the wild aurochs all over Europe and Asia. They left pictures of them on the walls of caves and even some early books of history. And then the aurochs began to dwindle, and by the early 1600s, that ancestor of our cattle became extinct. But much earlier than that, around 6,000 years ago, people started keeping the aurochs in captivity for meat and hides and milk. There are historic records of this. The aurochs then was gradually changed by human selection and became what we know as cattle. And then over time, many distinctive breeds were developed as domesticated cattle spread across Europe and Asia and Africa. Today, there are literally hundreds of breeds of cattle all around the world, a huge variety of shapes and sizes and colors and other qualities adapted to specific environments or uses. For example, in the US and Canada, as here in Australia, you'd see lots of these black Angus cattle, but the iconic beef cattle of the North American West is the Hereford, or it's called Hereford here in Australia. They've got a brick red coat, often white on the face and chest. They originated in Herefordshire, England, hence the name. Bred for hardiness and, of course, for the ability to put on lots of muscle for meat. And then there's the classic dairy cow. That, of course, is the Holstein, the most familiar cow in North America with that jigsaw pattern of black and white colors. Very big udders that produce large amounts of milk. Very different from the small udders on our black Angus here. About 90% of all the milk in the United States comes from Holsteins. That's a breed that originated in Holland, but of course they've spread all over the place because they're so good at producing milk. Now, of course, back in pre-Columbian times, there were no native cattle in North or South America, but there were those vast herds of bison or buffalo. They're so closely related, in fact, that bison and cattle can interbreed, and the mixed-blood offspring are called beefalo. They're raised commercially in North America as a source of meat. Now, the first domesticated animals that were brought to America 
arrived at the Jamestown colony in Virginia in 1611. And today there's about 100 million cows in the United States. That's roughly one cow for every three people. Plus there's another 15 million cows in Canada. India has by far the most cattle of any country in the world. But there are also huge numbers in Brazil, in China, Argentina, Europe, Africa, and of course here in Australia, where there's a population of almost 30 million cattle, far outnumbering the 22 million people in this country. Okay, what's the only continent that doesn't have a single cow? Of course, that would be Antarctica, but cows have been there. In 1933, the South Pole Expedition, led by Admiral Richard Byrd, brought four Guernsey cows to provide milk for the men. Three of them survived and came back to retire in the lavish green pastures of Massachusetts. That raucous squealing sound is a bunch of galahs, big parrots that are flinging overhead, beautiful birds with a bright rouge-colored belly, gray backs. Well, wherever cows live, their main occupation is what some of our animals are starting to do right now, keeping those huge round bellies filled. And listening closely, there's one of our cows wrapping her tongue around some grass and tearing off clumps, briefly chewing. The food goes down into her rumen. That's the first part of the cow's four-chambered stomach. Later on, she'll do what a goodly percentage of the cows around us right now are doing. She'll, re <laughs> she'll regurgitate wads of that food and re-chew it. That's called chewing the cud or ruminating. It's a major part of the cow's daily life. And I'd say most of the cows around us right now are busy chewing their cud. Not too hard to hear it. They chew that cud into a juicy mass and then re-swallow it. It goes back down into the rumen and there it mixes with millions of tiny microscopic organisms that break down the cellulose. The cow could not survive if her stomach wasn't full of those millions of tiny little microbes. One of the cows very close to us here, her little one is nursing. Oh, that froth of milk around the calf's mouth looks so tasty. Well then, after it's been in the rumen for a while, that slurried mix of nutrients and microbes flushes down through the other chambers of the cow's stomach, down through the intestines for further digestion. A lot of food and water goes into a cow every day. And as you might expect, a lot of liquid and manure comes out afterward. The manure from cows is very rich in phosphorus and nitrogen and potassium. It's used all over the world as an excellent fertilizer. In India and Africa, dried cow manure is a very important fuel for cooking, and it's also used to plaster houses. People in those countries aren't afflicted with the squeamishness about cow manure that people in other parts of the world seem to be. 
And in Africa, dried cow manure is burned as smudges to repel mosquitoes that carry deadly diseases like malaria. That beautiful sound is the butcher bird, black and white bird about the size of a jay. Cows also put out lots of gas from both ends, especially burping. In fact, according to a United Nations report, cattle put out 18% of the world's greenhouse gases, notably methane. It's a significant problem, so scientists are hard at work developing ways to decrease <laughs> the amount of gas that cows produce. Now, here at Pennyroyal, Guy Fitzharding is very careful about managing his pastures for sustainability and for wildlife. But in many parts of the world, cattle grazing is a major environmental issue. It's often pointed out that we could get far more food if we used the same amounts of land to grow and eat plants rather than using that land to produce meat. Well, it's a good point, but it wouldn't apply in much of Australia because the land simply isn't suited to growing crop plants. Another criticism of cattle grazing is that it impacts many plant and animal species wherever it's done. It reduces the biodiversity, even contributes to extinctions. Fences for livestock, like cattle and sheep, are one of the most sprawling human artifacts on Earth. In fact, fences, I think, can be very beautiful things. There are millions of miles of fences for cattle just on the North American continent. Well, in spite of all these discussions, cattle populations are increasing, and these animals are hugely important for many communities and cultures all around the world. For example, India, almost 300 million cattle. Most of the rural households in India have at least one cow, and it's often treated like a member of the family. In Hindu tradition, cows are sacred beings. They're woven deeply into the world of deities and holy people. They're a symbol of wealth and strength and abundance. The exhaled breath of cows is said to bring peace within a home. Cow's milk and butter is used in purification ceremonies in India, and cattle are important for religious festivals. Beautifully painted, they're decorated with bright flowers and cloth and jewelry. You can go to jail in India for killing or injuring a cow. Cows, as you probably know, roam the streets in cities and towns. There's something like 40,000 cattle wandering around the city of Delhi. They snarl the traffic. They tear open garbage bags for food. But on the other hand, it's considered good luck to give a cow a piece of fruit or bread. Our cows are starting to wander, and I'm just going to join in and wander right along with them. Thinking about cultures that focus around cattle, there's a very rich and fascinating cattle-oriented culture in the rangelands of the U.S., in Canada, and of course here in Australia. In the United States, there's an elaborate history and mythology centered around settling the frontier, and it's epitomized by the cowboy films and by Western music about cattle drives, ranching, lawlessness, lonely wandering cowboys. The cattle culture is ritualized in rodeo, displaying the skills of horsemanship and handling cattle, 
facing danger? Well, thinking about that cattle culture in the United States, not surprisingly, Texas has the most beef cattle of any state, followed by Missouri, Oklahoma, Nebraska, and South Dakota. In places like Texas and also here in Australia, I've had some long and interesting conversations with ranchers and stockmen. Most of them said to me that they like cows a lot. They enjoy being around them. They also appreciate their peaceful and compliant personality. Well, I'm sure that dairy farmers must feel much the same way about cows, although nobody ever celebrates the beauty and romance of a life devoted to milking Holsteins and Guernseys. What state has the most dairy cows? Big surprise, California. Followed by the state that calls itself America's Dairyland, Wisconsin. Then comes New York, Pennsylvania, and Minnesota. Well, wherever we live, we're all profoundly indebted to the people who feed and care for dairy cows. They get out there to do the milking twice a day, 365 days a year. It's mostly done by machine nowadays, of course, but many of us have had the chance to try milking by hand. I remember I certainly did. My uncle showing me how to do it as a kid. He said, grab one of those faucets, squeeze and pull down. And then he took over after I didn't do so well at it, squirted a long straight line of milk right into my mouth. I remember it well, very warm and rich, straight out of the cow. Incidentally, women are known to be the best milkers. Why is that? Because cows, being gentle themselves, respond best to gentle, quiet people. It helps the cow to relax, so she lets her milk down, as they say, lets the milk flow easily. Now, milk is produced, incidentally, when the blood from the cow enters into huge numbers of little sacs called alveoli, inside the cow's udder, and there it's miraculously transformed into milk, one drop at a time. Each dairy cow averages about six and a half gallons of milk per day, about 2,000 gallons per year from a single cow. And once again, when we drink a glass of this magic stuff, do we ever pause to think about the cow it came from and the whole process that brings our milk to us? A friend of mine actually pointed out that humans must be the only animal that habitually drinks milk from a species other than our own. And of course, it's not just cows. People also drink milk from camels, goats, water buffalo, sheep, and in the north country of Eurasia, reindeer. Well, our noisy cows, still very close, some grazing, some nursing, some staring in their beautiful benign way at me. Something about these animals inspires our bemused affection. But these are remarkable creatures. They deserve our interest, our gratitude, and above all else, our respect. The next time we sit down for a steak or a burger, for a glass of milk, for a chunk of cheese, it's worth wondering about the cow it came from where that animal lived, how it lived, how it was treated. And the farmers and ranchers whose labor and love for cattle brings us our food every day. I wish every child, and every adult for that matter, could visit a ranch like Pennyroyal here in Australia, or maybe a dairy farm, 
so that we all might better understand animals like the ones around me now that help to give us our life and to more fully realize that our bodies are made from the earth that nurtured the plants and the animals that we eat. It wouldn't hurt us at all to connect a little better with our inner cow. On a summer day in Australia, hanging out with this curious herd of black Angus cows. I'm Richard Nelson. I want to thank you so much for your good company and thanks to these beautiful cows for letting me feel for just a little while like I'm a part of the herd. I'll see you next time. Encounters is a production of the Island Institute, KCAW, and the Sitka Sound Science Center in Sitka, Alaska. Written and narrated by Richard Nelson, developed by Ken Fate, Encounters is produced and edited by Lisa Bush, web design and research by Liz McKenzie. Encounters is funded by the North Pacific Research Board, the Educational Foundation of America, the Johnson Family Foundation, Robert Osborne, and Gerald Lorraine. For more information about the subjects covered by Encounters and to podcast the program, go to EncountersNorth.org.